Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that, he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So for those who are new, I have the joy of introducing our uh, speaker today, our preacher today. I don't know where, where you grew up and uh, who you grew up with, but as a kid, did you have like a 1 or 2 a.m. friend that you would ring or even sneak out with to go and talk about the existential angst of life? <laughs> For me, one of those friends was Ryan Reeves. We grew up in a small little town in Central Florida at the little Presbyterian church together, and we were trying to figure it out. You fast forward to here and now, Ryan is a uh, walking genius. He, uh, we didn't know it at the time. Um, some, something clicked. Something clicked in Ryan in college, honestly, and then I knew he was different. One for fun, he started tutoring people at seminary in ancient languages. Ryan, that's not normal. <laughs> so anyway, we ended up at seminary together, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. He would then go on and get a PhD at Cambridge, and he is a professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and he is a regular contributor to the Gospel Coalition. Some of you uh, watch his videos on YouTube where he takes complex issues and tries to make them simple and accessible. I think he has hundreds of thousands of followers on his YouTube channel. And he just published his first kind of uh, book for the masses called Know How You or How We Got Our Bible. Know How We Got Our Bible. And it's a number one new release in Amazon, which is super exciting. I highly encourage you to go check it out. But more than that, Ryan is just a friend of me and a friend of our church. He's preached here a number of times, and uh, he's more than all of that, a son of God. And so with that, would you welcome Ryan Reeves back to the Daniel Island Fellowship. I'm going to steal this seat because I like to sit. Morning. So this is a weird passage, <clears throat> because it doesn't seem to flow. It seems to be strange, right? This guy walks up 
the scribe, and he says something to Jesus, asks a question. Jesus gives an answer, and he basically repeats the answer back to Jesus, almost like a parrot, and Jesus goes, you're close, but that's it. And I was that kid in high school. It was like, I don't know, is it B? Like, yeah, close. See? Like, I was just like, like, you don't quite know what the right answer is. And Jesus is actually holding back a little bit. Why is the question, right? Well, biblical exegesis is not rocket science. It's not the hardest thing in the world. Um, usually you just need a couple of tips. So let me give you a couple of those. The first is you look usually above and below a passage that seems a bit crazy and see if there's a contrast that's going on. And that is exactly what's happening here. If you go above this passage, I'm not going to read it, but if you go above it, it specifically says that there are scribes and Pharisees coming forward to try to trick Jesus. They're coming forward basically giving him tongue twisters theologically to say, that basically to hack everyone off around him. There's a, sort of a crowd around them. Um, and what would happen is, is they, would, they would debate these questions and they ask like, some of the hardest questions possible to Jesus to see if they can get him to put his foot in his mouth. And if he puts his foot in his mouth in Jerusalem during the Passover season, they're going to be like, oh, it's on now. And the whole crowd would be against him after having achieved all this popularity. One of them that they asked Jesus is, do we give our taxes to Caesar? And we're like, well, that's no big deal. Until you realize that Rome is an occupying, like, oppressive government that has taken them over by force and printed their Caesar's face on the coin and now asked them to pay crap loads of taxes back to Rome. And the Jews are going, we're God's people. Shouldn't we just like try to go to guerrilla war with these guys and stop paying them the money from the temple? And so they're like, hey, Jesus, who should we give the money to? Huh? Huh? And Jesus just goes, whose face is on the coin? And they're like, dang it. Like this whole thing. It's like repeatedly they keep trying to get, catch Jesus out. Below the passage, Jesus actually warns people about that kind of silliness. And then Jesus sees a widow put just a tiny amount of money on the altar, and he says she gets it. And it actually literally says at one point that she's put her whole life on the altar. It doesn't, they don't usually put it in that language, but the Greek says her whole life is given to, to, the, to the temple, basically to worship. Sandwiched in between there is this story. So that's what we're looking at. What's, what's going on here? Uh, it begins with this idea that the scribe comes up and he says, he heard them debating, he heard this like kind of sparring match, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he's intrigued. So immediately there we could say, okay, this guy's got more in his head than just, I got one that might stump him. He actually goes, I'm looking for an answer, I'm looking for something, and he's actually answering questions better than the idiots that have been debating all the time. And so he actually approaches Jesus and he says, I got a question. I hear all these rules, I hear all these comments about we gotta do this, we gotta do this. What's it, what's it boil down to? Like, what, what's the core of it? And maybe that's where you are today. You know, you're, you're newer to faith, you're newer to Christian life, or maybe you're an old veteran and you were raised in that kind of staunch Christian environment. We hear a lot of rules, right? You hear a lot of zig and zag comments, you gotta do this this way, you gotta go this, and you gotta, 
you get this thing, and then what, what, you, you hear all these arguments. And then frankly, people like me can sound like the scribes and Pharisees debating predestination, or when do you get baptized, or how, do you dunk them in the water, or do you like sprinkle and throw water at them from the other side of the room? What do you do? And you, know, you have all these questions, and then you're probably a bit like the scribe who goes, well, what's the core of it? Where, where's, that, where's that heart? What does this all come down to at its middle? And Jesus, believe it or not, doesn't avoid the question. Jesus, without pausing, gives one answer, and he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's a Jewish way of saying everything you got, you love the Lord with. He then, believe it or not, doesn't stop, but he adds one to it, and he says love your neighbor as yourself. And then if you're an English grammar nerd, uh, I'm not, I'm really bad at it sometimes, but if you're an English grammar nerd, you'll notice that there's a grammatical problem right after that, where Jesus says, there is no other commandment greater than these. He's just created two and called them by a singular verb, meaning these two are basically the same. They create a composite that's basically, that's a one commandment. Both love God and love your neighbor. Not love God and if it's convenient, love your neighbor, but they are in fact on equal terms that you can say this commandment, both of them together, is what you ought to do. The scribe just goes, yeah, all right, we're going to love, yes, and he kind of repeats it, kind of riffs on it a bit, and Jesus goes, you're not doing bad, you're close. I, don't, I really wish we had a, like, a, like a snapshot of what his face would be like. Really? Like, it's probably what my, my mind he's thinking, like, I, I got one? All right, cool. And he's got, it probably has this sense of, he just finds that so compelling, so interesting, that amongst all these rules, amongst all the regulations, all the, I mean, the Pharisees literally had a, a rule about how many steps one could take on Sunday, on Sat, their case, Saturday, Sabbath. But how many steps one could take? If you go over that number, you've, you've gone into the category of working, and you're not supposed to work on Sabbath. Now, it's usually the one that people think sounds silly, but the Pharisees cared about their religion. They cared about it. They wanted to take it seriously. But they had also strangled so much of what the heart of it was out of it that Jesus turns on them very often. So what Jesus has done here is boiled it down for people like you and me. If you don't know like, what to do in the faith, if you're like, look, I just want to show up and like, have that core to start with. Yeah, I'll care about some of the harder stuff when I have breathing room in my life, or when I have the time or the energy. But can I get the basics, please? If that's you, Jesus doesn't have one basic. He has two halves of the same basic. And the first one is to love God. Now, the problem with that word is that the word love in the ancient world is the same way you and I use love, which is it means it makes no sense, right? We use the word love for everything. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love football, I love pizza, I love a nap, you know, I would love to go home and like not have my kids bother me tonight. You use the word love for everything, right? And you get this sense that the word love always is just kind of whatever the umph behind it is. And hopefully you don't love your spouse and pizza on the same plane. Um, pizza's up. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> glad my wife's not here right now. Um, <laughs> but that, that being said, you have this way the word love works. 
But see, and the same problem was true back then. They used the word love for everything. Now, when you and I hear the word love, we tend to think more of the emotional, like, like, umph, that real existential, like, oh, I love it. And, and that's usually where our instinct goes. So when you hear the phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and when you hear love your neighbor as yourself, you, you, if you're not naturally inclined to be hyper-empathetic and prone to tears, you tend, like I have over the course of my life, to be like, am I missing something because I don't, like, cry at you know, commercials and like weep with everybody and just kind of love to hug everybody. I'm not, I'm not anti those things, but they don't come fully naturally all the time. Is that what I'm missing? Do I need to always be hyper-emotional? The answer is no. Because the fact of the matter is the word love that Jesus is using here comes from your favorite book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. All right? And since you've all read Deuteronomy over the past week, I'll go ahead and skip you all the context, right? Now, what Jesus quotes here is the book of Deuteronomy, where it says, specifically in chapter 6, this phrase, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Now, in that context, it actually uses a very specific term for love, which is more of a political term. So, some of you, if you know, if you, either yourself or if you know somebody who served in the military, you know that there is this, what we call, love of nation, this patriotism, this, this pride, this... This, I have allegiance, we even say, to my nation. Um, that what happens in the ancient world, and it's true a little, bit more to, a little bit less today, but certainly in the ancient world is, kings would ask their people to love them. Now, you immediately, when you hear that, a king, like a pharaoh, or God in this case, enthroned, says, love me. He doesn't mean the ooey-gooey, let's have cake this afternoon and talk about our feelings only side of that, right? That's not what the king wants to do. He doesn't want to send a Valentine's Day card to all of his people. It's not erotic love. It's not a, a hyper uh, intimate love. What is it? Well, the first part of it is loyalty. In the context of Deuteronomy, it's, I want you to be loyal to me. When the chips are down, who do you run to? When things are hard, who do you call upon? When people raise doubts about my faithfulness or my goodness, what do you hear? So leave the political stuff aside. It's a bit like the same loyalty you have for your kids or your extended family. That kind of, I'll die for you, no one's going to talk bad about you without getting me upset kind of loyalty. That kind of love, right? I mean, those of you that have kids, particularly younger kids, and if you can remember having younger kids, you know what it was like to go from not having kids where you're, like the extent of your challenges throughout the day are more about yourself and your spouse. Then you have kids and you know the weird experience of wanting to drop kick anybody who does anything bad to a baby, right? You go to the playground and someone bullies the kid and you're like, oh, we'll take you out, like the other kid. <laughs> like, what is that instinct, right? We want to do this. You want to protect. Like, what is that instinct? That's what we're talking about. You love. You have loyalty. You, you're like, I'm protecting. Like, like, there's some visceral side to that. God is saying, I want you to treat me like that. I want you to be viscerally kind of drawn to me. That when the chips are down, you come for me. You call upon my name. That even if there's a challenge and a doubt in your mind, if you feel like you're going through a hard season, you say, Lord, I don't know where else to go. You're it. It's loyalty deep down and fundamentally. 
It's basically saying, I will serve you no matter what. You're it. It's the, even if you slay me, I will follow you. You are the Lord. And the 21st century doesn't like that. We like a, a God who just kind of lets us punch on him all the time and cause doubts and be utterly disloyal and say, what gives God? What the heck, God? And we end up like Job in our morning, in our times of trial, going, what gives God? And then God goes, really? Where were you when I made the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I created you? Where were you when I did all these things? Some of you have had these talks with your kids. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm unfair. Like, where were you when I stayed up late while you were coughing all night? Where were you? You know this experience. And you know, as a parent, you don't demand perfection. And you don't demand utterly oppressive obedience. What you want is, look me in the eye and let me see that you love me. Let me see that you understand. That's what God says. When Jesus says that the main commandment is to love the Lord your God with all these things, he's not demanding your perfection. That can sound like a tall order. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And people beat you up with this type of stuff. It's like, not just your heart, but your mind and your soul. And you're like... Okay, I only got like 5% of battery on all those things right now, but I'll give it to you. But nevertheless, that's the challenge. What Jesus is saying there is not you need to be perfect in these things, but rather you need to just give all these things to God. Some of you have talents. Some of you have qualities and capacities and all these things that could be used for God. And you're probably wondering sometimes, is this just a me thing? Like, these talents and these uh, abilities that I have, whether it's serving, whether it's loving, whether it's organization, whether it's leadership, whatever it might be. And you're wondering, can I use these things for God? Usually you have one instinct. This is what I had. Either I gotta stop doing my personal life and go be a full-time person in ministry, or I don't do anything in ministry and I just come to the church and leave whenever I want. What Jesus says is basically, if you love me and you have loyalty, you know what I've done for you and you will have no problem sometimes sacrificing for me. Giving up some of your personal time to help and come and fellowship. Giving up uh, personal time to, 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 um, to, to, again, offer yourself whenever possible to things like volunteering uh, your, your time, talent, and treasure. See, Jesus doesn't demand everything all the time, 24-7, and sort of this kind of self-sacrifice to the point of killing yourself. But what Jesus says is, when the chips are down, do you love me? Do you sacrifice for me? And every time in the Bible, you, you can check this out if you look through it, every time in the Bible somebody gets a hard talking to by God, it's usually because they got uppity. It's usually because they gave God the, the what gives comment back. So last night, I was hanging out with my son, my middle son, um, and he's fun and feisty, and, um, but you know, when he's around Sorensen kids, he feels short. Um, <laughs> my goodness, we played basketball. Might as well challenge a family of dolphins to the race in the water. <laughs> hunt geese with a rake. Um, but, so he's, and he's a normal height kid. Uh, not a Sorensen height kid, and so you know, he's kind of hanging out, and at one point he gets over it because he doesn't know how to shoot a basketball, and he goes inside, and he and I just hang out a whole lot, and we play, have fun, he plays a little video game on the iPad, and he and I talk about it, and I comfort him and hang out, all this type of stuff. 
you know the drill. 20 minutes later, it's, all right, bud, we've got to go take a bath. What? Come on. And I just looked at him and I said, really? <laughs> and he, classically, he just goes, he kind of like looks around and goes, sorry, like that. That's what we're talking about. What God says is not you have to always come with this kind of, oh, Heavenly Father, I now kneel before you. My, but God says, no, come to me like a father. But don't talk to me like you're an equal. Talk to me like a son. Talk to me like a daughter. Which means that you go, I know what you gave me. I know how much you love me. I know how much you work when I'm not looking. I know all these things. And even if I say, what gives? And God goes, I'm sorry. You say, oh, you're right. <laughs> sorry, my bad. So I think that part is at least something we can apply, right? We can, we can know that and have that loyalty for God. The thing that Jesus adds after that is the part we always forget. Because Jesus specifically says, don't use your love for God as a reason to ignore people. And what's happened often in our world is a lot of people have started to talk about our neighbor as if it's just somebody who's not actually our neighbor. So we hear talk about, well, our neighbor, and they mean like something across the world. And they don't mean the actual neighbor next door who mows their grass at 7 a.m. on Saturday and it makes you angry. As one of my professors once said, he goes, you know who's Christian in my neighborhood? Because we wave at people as we hit the garage door down button. <laughs> that's, that's raw, <laughs> at some point. And he says, basically, we don't like other people. We don't, we don't like to pursue people who are different from us as easily. And what we do is we use the I'm serving God, you know, uh, obedient to God, loyal to God, as a reason not to actually be around people who are hard. And so what ends up happening is we get these echo chambers where we all act the same, talk the same, think the same, are the same. And it doesn't mean that we need utter variety of difference. But what it means is, is when somebody's hard to love, whether for personal reasons, psychological reasons, or just they're different from you, what Jesus says is not just love them, but love them as yourself. On this point, too, on the question of love, you and I tend to be clouded by, our judgment is clouded by our 21st century ways of thinking about this. You see, the Bible doesn't ask us just simply to let things go. I mean, how many times have you heard that in the last week? Just let it go, just let it go, serenity now, just let it go. That what the West actually, believe it or not, has adopted is more of a Buddhist posture of you have anger, you're justified in this anger, and you ought to say something, but <sighs> thing, right? I once saw a video on YouTube, I'm on YouTube a lot for no reason, um, you're just procrastinating. And this was this, this old eight, 1980s basketball game. I don't watch basketball, but it said, like, player chokes coach. And I was like, well, that sounds fun. And um, <laughs> I clicked on it. And it was uh, a famous basketball player in the 80s. And he got, this is back in the days when they could really hard foul. I mean, they could whack you if you came running through the middle. And this guy gets smacked upside the head. And literally, there's a trickle of blood rolling down onto his cheek. And coach calls a timeout. And what this player knows is that if he responds in anger to the person who basically hit him in the face, he's going to get a foul, and the, it was like at the end of the game, all this kind of stuff. So he runs to the sideline, and this coach, this kind of short, kind of doughy coach, walks up and goes, you all right, you all right? And he just grabs the coach and goes, mm, like this. And you can actually read the coach's lips in the, in the prompter, and the commenters comment on it, they're like, oh yeah, he's saying, that's right, take it out on me, take it out on me, take it out on me. 
And he's just saying, like, let it go. Like, just kind of get that. It's like basically those stress dolls, scream into a pillow, whatever thing you do to kind of let the anger out. And then the player goes back into the game and he's fine. And it's like, what a good coach. What you have is this idea that if you just kind of let things go, you're loving. Jesus actually asks more of you than that. Is that you don't just simply say, well, they're fine, but you actually love them how? As yourself. You, you read them you, uh, in the right, appropriate light. You don't read every fault as the worst feature about them. You say, how would I like to be treated if I had a bad day and showed up and was half grumpy and you know, had my resting whatever face on and all these things, and you're sitting there going like, how would I like to be treated? How would I like someone to read me better than this? And Jesus says, that's your model. Not letting it go, but letting it go and saying, how would I like to be treated instead. One of the interesting things about that is that we tend to lie to people all the time. Uh, I recently saw a thing in National Geographic that they, they've actually done research, psychological research on lying. And it was fascinating because about 95% of people say they never really lie that much, and in that they're lying. <laughs> they lie all the time. And so what the psychologists were able to figure out is why they were able to get people to admit why they lie or when they lie. And of course, what they, the, the results were fascinating. These are total non-Christians. It's not meant to be like a religious thing. It's just psychologists. But the answer was total, total what Jesus is talking about here. As he said, basically, if anyone tells you anything even close to halfway off the truth, you think that they are basically Hitler walking around. And how dare you lie to me? You lied to me. It's kind of a thing. He says, but what we do is we lie our brains out and we think we're justified. 75% of the reason why people lie, this is like, again, this is, three, this is the Pac-Man of the graph. It's three-fourths of it filled up. 75% of the reason why you and I lie is self-preservation, self-posturing, and to be liked, loved, or to have people think better of us. We, but the only like 2% are those little white lies you tell your grandma when you tell her like her hat looks pretty or something, when it doesn't. Like, those are like 2% of the lies. But we think that's the only time we lie is when we're like uh, just being nice in a polite company. But this re literally research says we lie all the time to make ourselves have an advantage, feel better, act better, and we read any infraction by people outside of ourselves as the worst evil thing that could be possibly said. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows how we act. He knows we love to basically make ourselves feel better, and we could give a rip about the other person unless it's convenient. That that is the default of our heart. What Jesus says is don't love them just simply by letting things go. Love them by asking, how would I be loved if this were me? So in the end, what Jesus says is one of two things. He says, I want you to be loyal to me. Now, how would you live that out this week? Well, it's easy to live it out when you feel good, when you feel loved, when you wake up and have a good day. The way Jesus says here you ought to love God, though, is when you're having a bad day and you want to cry out and you want to scream and you want to say what gives. It's when, like my son, you go, that's right, you died for me. You gave me everything. Yeah, I'm acting entitled and I'm sorry about that, but you're it. I'm coming to you. That's all it takes to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Give him everything. You don't have to do it perfectly, but what you give him is that, I know, you did it for me. I didn't do it for you. The way you'd live out loving your neighbor, though, this week, 
is by actually talking to your neighbors. That person on the other side of this room who you don't really understand or don't really get along with, you might just go, hey, what's up? How are you doing this week? Those types of interactions, the people that you know are lonely, maybe your neighbor who no one really talks to because they're a little bit strange and they have you know, strange uh, habits and actions of these types of things. Maybe you just in passing actually say hey and ask them how they're doing. God's not asking you to be God, in other words. He's asking you to be a child. He's asking you to understand what's at stake, and that is that you're obedient, that you're loyal, that you're trustworthy. But in the end, he's also asking you to love each other as you would yourself in that selfish, narcissistic way that we all can be about ourselves. But to focus on other people and say, maybe they're just having a bad day. Maybe it's not about me. How can I make them have a better day? How can I help them? How can I pray for them? How can I bring them a cup of coffee? Hey, pumpkin spice latte comes out next week. How can I bring them one of those <laughs> and make them feel better? <laughs> because it's not about me. Jesus is the one who says, come and I've got you. But the way we interact with each other is through love. Let's pray. Father, we just want to stop and be grateful, thankful. All the things you've done for us that we don't even acknowledge, all the things you've done for us sometimes we don't even know, all the ways that throughout every single moment of our lives, you've been more aware and more attentive to us than we can even be for ourselves. For that, we just say thank you. We love you. We believe, so help our unbelief at times. Lord, for our loving our neighbor as ourselves, we just need your spirit to strengthen us, to give us boldness to, to approach and love each other. Above all, Lord, do your will in our lives. In the name of Christ, we ask, amen.